Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'm excited to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today we're going to be talking about building relationships this fall, whether that's in person or in a remote setting. And so I'm really excited uh, to have two of my favorite people in education on the Zoom call today for this podcast uh, in Melissa Pilikowski and Dustin Carlson. And so I'm going to start off our pod by having them introduce themselves and then we'll dive into that topic. And so, uh, Melissa, uh, would you go first? Hey, I'm Melissa Pilikowski. I teach English language arts up in Valentine, Nebraska. All right, and Dustin? I'm Dustin Carlson. I teach kindergarten at Rockbrook. This will be going into my 13th year. I am also an Apple Distinguished Educator and a Seesaw Certified Educator. All right, and so we have a little secondary, we got a little elementary going here, and so we're going to come at this from two different sides of that K-12 spectrum, uh, and really just talk about what it looks like to foster relationships, and it's going to be a, a challenge, you know, if we're in person, we're going to be social distancing, uh, we're going to have some, you know, different measures and means, might be masks <laughs> that people are wearing, it's not going to be the norm, <laughs> right, by any stretch, and relationships are going to be incredibly important, particularly if we end up uh, moving to a remote setting at some point in time, uh, which is possible. Uh, and so acknowledging that, we really want to make sure that those students feel connected to their teacher, to the coursework, to really the, the flow of what's going on. And I think that that starts really from day one. And so most of the schools in Nebraska are going back in person, or at least that's the idea at this point in time. Uh, and so with that being said, let's think through that secondary lens first. So Melissa, I'll, I'll kind of throw this to you here. What are some things in that first week back that you're looking to do to maybe foster relationships and build that connectivity between you and your students? Especially the first, you know, two to three days. I don't do a lot of content. I do just a lot more of the protocols and just getting to know the students. And one activity that I've done a few years now is having students do learning profiles, something that Andrew, that I know that you're familiar with. Last year, we did kind of just some fun twists where students made an avatar kind of like their own superhero and, and what strengths their superhero would have and what weaknesses and a six-word memoir that would be their superhero's catchphrase. And then I also got the idea from Summer Spark to embed a YouTube video of whatever their theme song would be. So it was a great way to kind of get to know kids' personalities and how they view themselves. But I also really like just doing kind of a personal survey too, because a lot of times what doesn't come out on learner profiles that everyone can see on the surveys, they'll tell you things as your teacher that maybe you don't expect, where they'll admit, yeah, I had a really bad year last year. I'm looking to change it. Or I've always wanted to be a dentist, but I'm starting to change my mind about that. You know, whatever it is, because one thing I do ask them for 11th and 12th graders is kind of what career field they're thinking about. So, you know, I think that's a great part of surveys. I love both of those points and I'm like chomping at the bit over here to add to them because I just really like the thought of this. So if they're going to make an avatar, how cool would that be? Should you go remote to have all of those images accessible to interweave into slides, into games, into like 
worksheets and things that you pass back. That's super fun when you get to see like your own caricature <laughs> implemented into that, that kind of thing. Uh, and with those learner surveys and profiles, I think particularly at the secondary level, we got to remember as educators that uh, there were probably seven or eight different classes that these students took in the spring. And they probably understand remote learning through many different lenses than uh, maybe we as teachers do because we just sort of rolled our own experience out. And so it'd be really cool to sort of farm in the midst of those surveys for what were some best practices that you experienced that maybe helped you as an individual be more efficient and effective as a learner in a remote setting. Just some thoughts, throwing those out there. I think that that's a fantastic idea. And I really, I thought about that last spring and I haven't thought about it since. And I'm glad you brought that up, that we need to be finding out feedback from those kids of what worked well for them, what didn't work well from them and make adjustments if you deem them necessary to help those kids. Yeah, and I know Dustin uh, does a like a DNA form, or at least did last year to kind of start his year off with that really got into a kindergarten version of that learner profile, I would say on some level. You don't have to talk about that, Dustin, but just in general, what were some things that you, that you were thinking over the course of this summer, again, getting ready for building those relationships when you get back to school with, with students who've never been in school before? Welcome to K-12, here's your mask. Like, that's crazy to think about, right? But that's going to be our reality, so it's going to matter a lot. You're right, that's going to be completely different for us. We usually are able to start building relationships way back in May because we get to have kindergarten roundup, but because we went remote learning, that all got canceled. So we have not even like a facial image of what some of these kids are because we've not met them yet. So we've got that hit against us. Then usually we have sneak peek before school starts. So the week before school starts, the kids get to come in, they get to look at the classroom, get to see who's in their class. They get to meet their teacher if they weren't able to come to Roundup. And now that's off the board because, again, we want to de-densify de and keep people away from each other for safety reasons. And usually in the summer, I can send a postcard to kids saying, hey, I'm your teacher. I'm excited for you to be in our class. Here's some things to look forward to. But I don't know who my students are. This is my first year going in that I don't know who my students are. We always have class lists before now, and we don't have that. So we're going to have to look at that through a different lens as a team because we'll send something out to the whole kindergarten like all 40 students but we're not there yet for that and so in the midst of all that with all those challenges yeah what are some things that you're thinking with regards to ways to address that because that's that's ultimately where we have to be right i think that if if any no one thinks this is optimal and i think there's reasons to be discouraged on some level <laughs> in almost any and all fronts but I also you know, want to promote that we, we be as resilient as possible and as optimistic as we can and, and realize that we're trying to be there for uh, kiddos in the best capacity and know, to be as effective as we can in helping them out, right? And so like staying in that vein, yeah, what, what are some things we can maybe do elementary, primary, to kind of get a chance to get to know those kids? Yeah, and you're right. On the positive end of this, the kids are actually more resilient than we are. So there is that little benefit that these are brand new kids to our building. They have no idea what they're missing out on from previous years because everything is new. So if we say, hey, you get to wear a mask this year, they're like, oh, in kindergarten, we wear masks now. This is awesome. Or, hey, kids, we have to sit behind uh, plexiglass shields. They're like, oh, cool. That's just something we do in kindergarten. So we do have that, that piece there. And so one thing that we will be doing to help get to know our kids is, unless things change, uh, we're going to take the first four days of school and half the kids will come. So like the first two days, half of those 40 kids will come 
half will be in my room, half will be in my teammates' room. And then the next two days, that same thing will happen with the other half of the kids. So we'll still get to know the kids a little bit before we actually split them off into different classes. And once that's done, we'll kind of send out some more greetings to families of saying, hey, here's who your teacher actually is. And here's some expectations in that classroom for the year. And then the first month of school, and I say month loosely because sometimes it's three weeks, sometimes it's eight weeks, we spend on getting to know the kids and building routines anyway. So none of that will actually change. We'll go from greeting the kids at the door, saying good morning, showing them how to line up, how to hang up their things. Or this year, I don't know if we're using our cubbies or not, but they'll be taught on where their things go. And we'll be teaching them how to follow rules. So we spend time lining up anyway. So this year, it'll be spend time standing six feet away while lining up. Uh, we'll get to do a lot of introducing to technology since they've not had iPads before. That's all brand new. So we don't have the benefit of, hey, last year you were in third grade, you're going to fourth. You already know how to use your iPad and how to use Seesaw. So we're going to do a lot of front loading with that. So students are comfortable with getting onto their iPad, getting onto Seesaw, because Seesaw is going to be our learning management system for any e-learning that takes place. So whether that's when we're in yellow status, where they're at school part-time, at home part-time, or if we go full red, which is where we're completely e-learning, they've got to know how to get onto that so that they can make that connection from home with us. Outside of that, we do a DNA poster, which may look a little bit different this year, but we always talk about their dreams, things that they want to do when they grow up. And we don't necessarily link that to a career, but just what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, needs are going to probably look a lot different this year, just knowing that a lot of kids have been stuck at home for a long time. Some have played with other kids, some have not. So they may range from, and they may not be able to put it into words, but social skills. There may be a lot of lost social skills and dealing with feelings. So we may have to help feed them that, hey, a need for you is um, how do you interact and share with someone else? Because you've been stuck at home with maybe no siblings. And then abilities are going to arrange. I think we'll see a lot of, hey, I'm really good at riding my bike with no training wheels because hopefully kids have been outside this entire pandemic time doing fun things like riding bikes. But we keep that post outside our door, which again will be an added benefit this year because I don't think we'll get a lot of visitors in our room. But by having the poster out in the hallway with their DNA and their picture, and uh, we always add on one word that describes the kid in the parent uh, sends that in so like outgoing or friendly or kind so people in the building will still get to know the kids they just may not get to see their face in person unfortunately i i like what dustin brought up you know he talked about social skills and i think that really goes even k-12 we talk about social emotional learning and that just naturally goes hand in hand with relationship building and that's something our kids are desperately going to need. Now, of course, it looks much different at the kindergarten level of learning how to share as opposed to, you know, 11th and 12th grade, you know, working in small groups or being able to goal set. But, you know, hitting those, especially in these opening weeks, too, and helping get kids on the right road and prepping them for that worst case scenario that we do have to go remote it's not only a thing, I think a great direction for teachers to take their kids with focusing on SEL, but it's just naturally 
building relationships too. And the thread through that, or at least as I'm trying to kind of derive those commonalities would be to say that there is, there is a need in, in any and all situations to first try to come up with exactly who these individuals are and establish what those, those needs are. Uh, and then within that too, I like Dustin's comment about that we need to have some structure. We have to have some expectations, some boundaries, and I think a healthy relationship certainly uh, clearly establishes those and communicates those at the front end. Uh, and so I think in both, well, really in any classroom, that's important. Uh, and then I also think too that it, it, you need to reveal a little bit about yourself. As someone told me once in the first few years of my teaching, and I, I've held on to it ever since, it said that you need to show that you are uh, wired right, <laughs> was the way this individual told me. And they, they said that means that sometimes when you should be upset, you're a little upset. And when you should be, you know, emotional, you should be a little emotional. At times when you should be happy, you can be pretty happy. And, and so trying to think about what it means to not only in those first few days show the picture of what you did over the summer uh, and your family and those things that let them uh, have a window into your life. And now again, this is not a therapy session either. Let me just say that. But I do think that it's really important uh, that we, we talk about how our experience was in a somewhat candid way uh, and but also convey our excitement too for the year and the potential that it holds and, and I think that there will be an authenticity in that that will resonate with students on, that I think will start to bridge some of those relationships if we just acknowledge that and it can be really brief you know at the beginning of things. You touched on a lot of major points right there all about showing emotions and as you were talking, the first thing I thought about is, and I don't know how many schools are requiring it now, but we'll be required to wear masks. And so to be able to show a lot of those emotions is going to be very difficult because this much of my face, like nose down, is going to be covered. And we're also, as teachers, going to be wearing face shields. And so for a five or six-year-old to come into the classroom to this person that they hardly know, who probably has, you know, quarantine hair and a mask and face shield, it's going to be pretty scary. And so prepping these kids with, I know our school is going to do, use Flipgrid to do some introduction videos so they can see our face, they can hear our voices, they can see our expressions. And they're also assuming, unless things change again, they'll allow us to remove our face mask as long as we keep our face shield on and are at least six feet away so the kids can see our faces. But in that social emotional learning, we're going to have to teach how to look for other cues for those emotions. Um, I was in the grocery store today and a lady was joking. She goes, I, I keep forgetting that when I smile at people, people don't know I'm smiling. So she goes, I really should just say, have a great day and then stick my tongue out just for fun because they have no, no idea I'm doing that. <laughs> That's there. You, you've lost so much. You've got to teach kids how to look for other, other cues too. You know, Dustin, and, and what I think about with that in terms of a secondary level is that I, at one point in time, had 151 students in my class. And how in the world am I supposed to get to be able to call them by name when they enter the classroom when I only see nose down and I'm meeting them all for the first time? <laughs> That's going to be such a challenge. Um, Melissa, what other kind of related challenges do you sort of see as being uh, that same concept maybe in a secondary setting? I think probably the names is going to be, you know, the most difficult and also just the lack of collaboration with students for teachers who are so used to students working together or doing pair share. We're going to need to move some of that digitally and find digital ways to make that work. Dustin mentioned Flipgrid, which is a fantastic way, I think, um, and Padlet has those same capabilities too. It's not quite 
what Flipgrid is with adding stickers and stuff. But, you know, Padlet's another way where students can either do videos of themselves or do written comments, or I do a lot of just GIFs and images in Padlet with vocabulary. But using those collaboration sites, Parlay Ideas is another one for upper level students where they can do some collaboration. Um, Google Slides is just my always my go-to favorite, but teachers were really gonna need to find those digital ways for students to still be able to collaborate from six feet apart. That's something that I've tried to give a lot of thought to is like, how do you do that peer-to-peer -peer learning? And I really felt like in particular, my son who was in Dustin's class this past year, um, that, that when he started to slow down, it was because that piece was lacking. You can't look to the left, can't look to the right, see that your peers are on task and, and be involved in that, like learn from them with them. Uh, and so I've been really trying to think too, with regards to see that being seated in desks for six and a half hours. Uh, and, and I wonder if some of these type of collaborative things, I want to start to integrate like opportunities to stand up and move a part of your body to be uh, an answer. So if you think instead of it's a fist to five, you know, as, a, as an activity that sometimes we do from the seated, you know, maybe it's put your left arm out. If you kind of get it, put your stand up, put your right arm out. If it's, and it's going to be a little cheesy, but I think it's going to be very welcomed at the same time at any uh -huh. level. Uh, and it made me wonder too, what that looks like from a collaboration standpoint. And I started going through my repertoire of different activities. And um, you ever heard of those, like the snowball fight where you write something and you crumple it up and you throw it. Do you think that that would convey germs to a degree that you wouldn't be able to do that? I don't know. I'm curious about this. Do I got to spray your paper down before you unravel it? But I'm really trying to take some of those things that allow me to stay six feet away from other people, but still to have some sort of collaboration. Um, and, and so we're throwing out ideas here, obviously, online and offline. Dustin, what do you think about all that? Well, it's interesting that you're talking about things like the, the snowball, because we do that. And I just thought we, we can't because we're strictly no shared supplies is kind of like the line right now, which takes away from some of that fun. Now we are going to attempt to use plexiglass to still do small groups. So our district is getting something ordered or built for us because that's how we really get to know our kids is sitting in those small groups with them, whether it's reading or math and we get to have simple conversations with them and see where they are academically and socially. And they're not sure that they'll have plexiglass available for four through six when school starts. So what they've suggested for them is to use something like WebEx or so be like Zoom to meet with students across the room. I don't know logistically how that would work, but at least there's that possibility. And then for them going into remote learning, if that's what we have to do, they could already, already be prepped for that. Whereas for my kindergartners, I'm not sure how that would work, but it would maybe, because I think if we have up to four kids on WebEx or Zoom at the same time, it could be done. But like during remote learning at the end of the year, I would have up to 10 kids when I'd meet with them on Fridays and it was, it was entertaining. It was good <laughs> collaboration time. And once we figure out a structure that worked for it, it worked really well. And some of the fun times were when like Andrew's son was on there because he happened to be the only one that showed up that, at that meet time. It was cool because we actually got to have a good conversation back and forth instead of playing the, okay, you unmuted again, let me remute you. And now you've unmuted, so I got to mute you again. And now you're telling me about your dog, but we're talking about this right now. And um, we didn't do any 
direct instruction that route. It was truly like a show and tell time. So the kids got to pick something they wanted to share with us and, and tell about it. Oh my gosh, so much to unpack there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I got, I want to say real quick. So clearly no on the snowball idea. Nick's the snowball. Don't do that. Oh. But, but can we write on the plexiglass? Can we use oh. like, like, like the dry erase markers on the plexiglass? I, yeah, because That'd I was be thinking awesome. about it on easel paper, but if each student had their side of the plexiglass. But they're going to write it backwards for everybody oh. else though. So you couldn't Ooh. use, <laughs> so you couldn't necessarily write words, but you could do images. I don't know. I'm going there, right? This is, but this is the kind of talk we got to have. We have to say, let's think about how we can take the limitations of the current circumstance and utilize those for things we would never have thought to done before and to make things fun. Like uh, what an awesome thing if I write my name on my plexiglass and have a little border around my name, like a little frame and I just get to kind of do that. Now you don't want students to do that the whole time, but there's there's a thought. Um, and I think Dustin brought, you know, it's good. Maybe we do a little pivot to like remote learning uh, right now and talk about what happens if we get in that setting. And uh, you're right, there were times uh, n by no fault of yours, Dustin, but you throw 20 kindergartners in a Zoom chat and it's like herding cats. <laughs> like, hey, how do we turn the mute off for <laughs> all these different families? And I, but everybody was excited. You know, there was just like an energy in there too. Kids loved it. Uh, and so, yeah, Melissa, what are you thinking when it comes to remote learning uh, with regards to relationships and, and being able to still kind of make those connections with your learners? Some really good advice, and I don't remember really who said it, but it's something that I thought about, is if we have to go remote, we all know the power of Zoom slash Google Meet slash whatever program you're using, but to use that, those moments in time to one, build relationships, and to allow kids to talk and collaborate, that we as teachers need to be really careful about using Zoom time for direct instruction. When direct instruction can, can be through video or through slides or whatever, I mean, kind of like a flipped classroom in a way where you want students to do some learning first and then come to meet together to talk about it. Because otherwise you're grouping kids together and then if it's all teacher-centered, you're losing so much opportunity. And I think that's a huge, huge thing we need to remember if we have to go remote learning, knock on wood, that won't happen. I totally agree. And I just wanna say yes, because I know some districts and it, if that model worked for them, awesome. But they spend their time with kids direct instructing when you're absolutely right. It can be done in video. And the best part of that is if I've watched the video, I've watched it again, I watched it a third time. I still don't understand it, even though I've tried the work, but now I can go meet with my teacher and we can unpack that and discuss that. That's going to be the valuable time. And I keep thinking back to with working with my kindergartners, if I'm spending most of my time unmuting and remuting, they're not learning anything anyway if I'm trying to do direct instruction. But if I can spend that time where they're highly engaged and it's truly just an open discussion, or if we're teaching social skills through a screen at their, and they're at their house, that's gonna be a more valuable discussion than me trying to teach them some sort of concepts and then say, here, good luck. Plus, 
with the upper elementary and even up into high school, they'll be a little more independent with their work. But for five and six-year-olds, we're going to rely a lot on the parents to help them with their work or to at least get them signed on, get to the lesson, watch the video, do the work. But parents are also working. And I know that's been a huge debate too. I'm trying to keep a full-time job and I have to teach my child at home. It's got to be on my time. And so I had a couple students during remote learning where they said, and I, I love the communication. They sent me an email. They said, hey, we cannot make this work during the school day or even during the week because we don't get home till after six. And then I've got three kids that I'm trying to do e-learning with we'll make it up on the weekend. And so they would sit there Saturday, Sunday, and they would get their work done. And if they had questions, they'd email me and I'd try to get back to them on the weekend. But if not, you know, Monday morning, that was the first thing I hit up. So just keeping in that, that conversation of, like you said, that video time with them should be open discussion, small group time, not the direct instruction. Well, one of the biggest problems that I think we faced in the spring, particularly once you got into that secondary level, is, is students just not showing up. All right. And what do, what do we do when people, whether it's for what we might deem as legitimate reasons or just from sheer disinterest <laughs> um, and apathy, just decide that they're over it. Uh, and, and I think that the more you can make that interaction meaningful, the more likely it is that they're going to repeatedly want to be there for that. OK. And so to, to give an example of this with with my son in Dustin's class, Dustin did a morning message, which mirrors what he does in his classroom. Uh, and in that he got creative at one point and, um, and really kind of shifted from just uh, not that it was back. It was great from the beginning, like with just being informative to being informative and entertaining and throwing some filters and having, you know, his daughter in, in the video and really just trying to be a person <laughs> uh, in addition to being a teacher in that space. And so, um, yeah, you use that time to have a discussion that's student led and, and allow them to feel like they're connecting with friends during that time. I'll show up for that, right? If I'm a student or uh, remediation, hey, I, I can tell that, that these three or four people have struggled with this particular concept. Let's, instead of me teaching it again to everybody in a lecture, I'm gonna send something to those folks and hopefully get them invested in doing that uh, or just even have fun. Uh, I, talked with some people and they've said, hey, we did mystery Skype. Uh, we had guests come in. We just just met to kind of almost be there for support and therapy, some, some academic, but also just some kind of community building activities and icebreakers and, and things of that nature. And that is, those are the pieces that are likely to keep students coming back. And that's what you want is to sort of establish that as, as a, uh, I'm going to invest my time to make sure that I'm there when I can be in those spaces uh, as a learner. So a lot, of, a lot of ways of doing that. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about making sure that they, they have fun. I know a lot of schools and we did it too, where we did an all school Kahoot and we didn't focus so much on content. We did topics that anyone could do well, but it could be an all grade level Kahoot or some schools did, you know, a family night Kahoot where they did it on Thursday or Friday evenings and the whole family got involved, which is, you know, especially for your younger kids is really great. But that can be even a class thing if you have a Kahoot that's for your content. But then I would also add, do a second Kahoot of 10 questions that's places in Minecraft that actually exist in our world, like an Eiffel Tower Minecraft, or types of animals is always, you can't go wrong with 
what animal is this? And it's some crazy named animal. But just little things like that can keep the fun and engagement up when students know it's not just going to be the dry content that they're zooming in for. That's fun that you say that. Paul um, Narvasi talked a little bit about a game he put together that was designed to help the secondary students continue to have school pride uh, and to like get connected to their school's history when they couldn't physically be in that space. And I thought that that parallels what you're talking about there, right? That, that you can kind of ask questions that don't necessarily have to relate to the content, uh, but can certainly serve a, an additional purpose. And that was just theirs, right? Is that they wanted to like continue to promote school pride. Uh, and I thought that was just really neat to consider what that looks like in a remote setting uh, when you can't physically be there. Yeah, I think keeping those family engagement nights is a huge, huge plus for your buildings to kind of keep that sense too that you're still a community even though you're stuck at home. Because I'm thinking too, I, I lead the, the K3 and sometimes K6 STEAM clubs after school. And I already had parents email going, um, are we still able to do this because I want my kid in there. And as of now, we still can have after school clubs, but you know, if things change, that's gone. So in the back of my mind, I've been trying to figure out, well, how can I do those virtually? And I can say, I've got an idea and the plan is in the works right now, but I can't share it because that would just be, I don't want to ruin anything. So, but yeah, like you said, keeping those, those engagement nights going is so important for the community of the school. Yeah, and all those things to get back to our central theme of relationships here, right? It, it, when you feel connected, when you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself, when you understand that people are showing up not just because they have to for an hour or to like go on about some content that you don't care about, but you actually are taking the time to go to think differently and to try to meet them in that space. I think that that's important. And there's so many things that we do in a school we take for granted that you can still do in this this uh, medium too. Have theme days. You can do that with your own class, right? And it's not, I get that we don't wanna hurt anyone's feelings if they don't have a funny hat or a shirt that's a certain color, but you could probably pick something that's a little, that's general enough, right? That everybody could show up with their stuffed animal or what, um, you know, just something to that degree. Favorite toy, I don't know, that they bring to the Zoom for theme days and, uh, I'm, I'm excited for the ways in which we might stretch our thinking if we end up in a remote setting uh, in the future. So that being said, as always, time goes fast, especially when the three of us are riffing on ideas, which I absolutely love, love, love. Uh, but uh, we have kind of reached the end of today's episode. And so I do want to ask you, is there any kind of parting message that you have or an idea um, that you'd like to share uh, with regards to remote learning as we kind of close things out? We'll go to Dustin. I think I, my theme this year is going to be, be a person. I like how you said that. We really have to remember that community is huge. Our students are important. Building those relationships are important because once you have those pieces and those students see you as a person and get that connection, then you'll actually be able to teach. And there's so much research, research on that that will say, yes, that is how you need to do it. The one thing that I started doing during remote learning was a weekly check in on just a Google form and students checked in, gave me, you know, what was their state of mind. There was a spot for anything else they wanted to tell me. That of course goes to a Google sheet. And it allowed me for, for kids that I was a little concerned about, I could easily email them off of that Google sheet just using the yet another mail merge app and it opens up that line of communication. When you have lots of students at that middle school, high school level, you might not be able to email them all every single week, but it's a great way to check in with them, make sure 
that they know that you know, or that they know that you care. And keep touching base and let them know that you're, as Dustin and you said, a real person. Absolutely. And I, I know something I've thought a lot about recently too, is that finding ways to leave, because you're talking about feedback there too, right? Like leaving audio feedback, leaving video feedback, where maybe I otherwise would have given just text, uh, I think is just one more way to, to be real. And so thank you both so much for your time. I've learned a lot from being a part of this conversation. I've had a lot of fun getting a chance to learn from both of you in the midst of it all. And so um, I wish you a, a happy start to your year uh, in whatever mode or <laughs> light or whatever you want to call it that you start back in, red light, green light. And I think it'll be different, but I know that um, two positive and just creative educators like yourselves are going to find ways to really make it meaningful for learners no matter what. Uh, and I'm really grateful that you took the time to share in hopes that we all can kind of get to that place. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Thanks, Andrew.